Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is Bookin, brought to you by our new presenting sponsor, the North Carolina Book Festival, one of North Carolina's many amazing premier literary events. Happy to host North Carolina's many amazing authors, along with national and international bestsellers, prize winners, independent authors, and My guest today is award-winning and North Carolina Hall of Fame author Jill McCorkle. Her new book is Old Crimes and Other Stories, which is published by our friends at Algonquin Books of Chapel Hill. Jill, welcome back to the program. Thank you. Wonderful to be here. It is an honor to have you here, Jill. And uh, first, as I mentioned the last time you were on, not only are you a remarkable writer, but you were a great teacher and friend. I had you as an instructor for a creative writing workshop when I was a graduate student and have hosted you many times for events, both at Quail Ridge Books and the North Carolina Book Festival. Uh, What a wonderful thing it is in life, Jill, to have people around whose capacity in one's life changes and matures over the years. And my Question, Jill, is do you have people like this in your life, maybe teachers or mentors who have grown into professional acquaintances and friends? Oh, yes, quite quite a few along along the way. Um, a couple of primary ones who, who are no longer with us, um, the writer Max Steele and Louis Rubin, who founded Algonquin Books. Um, mm-hmm. Max Steele was my first writing teacher and much of um his process uh i have taken and and used in my own work all through these years and giving him credit a lot of the prompts still are things that i got uh right from him he was just an incredible teacher and i also had the wonderful fortune to work with lee smith Mm. um who is I was in the first class she ever taught at UNC mm-hmm. and then we just always stayed in touch and she's one of my dearest friends and uh, now she's a neighbor. Mm-hmm. Um, I live in town and she's only about three blocks away. So um, that's a, oh my goodness, that's a f- relationship going on 45 years. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. I love Lee. I remember I interviewed her one time and, uh, she and Samaya Saragadina, she invited me to her home and made cookies and all kinds of things. And that was, <laughs> that was fantastic. Well, thank you, Jill. And it's fun uh, for me looking back on being a student in those times at the remarkable instructors that North Carolina State University had in their creative writing program at the time. Um, Wilton has been out here to Aspen to visit the bookstore. And uh, maybe you can come out sometime too, Jill. I would, to I would love it. I was going to say, I mean, mm-hmm. Wilton is incredible. John Kessel, Bell Boggs, mm-hmm. and, yes. and um, many wonderful new additions to the program. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so Eduardo. much. Yeah, Eduardo's great. He's moving uh, into St. Louis. Is that correct? Did I see that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and of course, Dorian and Joe, who we all still miss terribly yes. around here. Absolutely. Dorian's new book is on our shelves, too, right above yours, featured with our new releases. Um, 
Well, now, Jill, let's move on to your new collection, Old Crimes. And let's start with the title story, Old Crimes, which is also the first story in the book. Uh, so the protagonist of this story signs up for a creative writing class, and her advisor warns her that her courses aren't leading towards anything. Um, and my question, Jill, is if you were still working at a university, would you advise uh, that your protagonist, Lynn, uh, or what would you advise your protagonist, Lynn, do in this situation? And now that you are not working for a university, would you advise she do the same thing? Yes, you know what? I I I have taught for almost 40 years. And, mm. you know, I people who love writing and want it I have always encouraged um adding along that there may be a lot of people in their lives who are incredibly fearful that they're making that choice and that and a lot of people are going to say but what are you going to do and um all those difficult questions that come but I think that when you're in college and you're just sampling all different fields. Um, what have you got to lose mm -hmm. you know, to yeah. to go for it? I mean, a, as an undergrad, I ended I ended up having to take some extra hours to make up for all of, of the creative writing classes I took because I got in the groove a little later. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm amazed at. 17 year olds who know exactly what they want to do in life i i had not a clue um mm. i love to write but if you had told me as an 18 year old that you know i could choose that um i think i would have been shocked i i couldn't imagine you know i thought i needed to do something very practical like get my education certificate and mm. um anyway and I ended up going a more impractical route. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder how many of these 17-year-olds who know exactly what they want to do graduate uh, still knowing what they want to do. Um, I don't know. Yeah. It's always exciting to me to see students who think they wanted one thing and then, you know, take a writing class or or something that just really, you know, takes the lid off. <laughs> mm -hmm. And they're never the same. And that's pretty much what happened to me. I took my first creative writing class and never looked back. I suddenly mm. had this goal. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much, Jill. Um, you mentioned uh, sacrifices in this story. And what I mean by sacrifices is like actually uh, killing someone as a blood sacrifice. And the quote specifically is, we're praying for a crop. So here's a dead girl. Uh, end quote. And um, what is the context here in your story, Jill, and uh, outside of your story? Why did anyone ever think that these types of blood sacrifices uh, were the way forward to solving their problems? Oh, boy, that, that's a big question. Um, my, my narrator uh, or protagonist shares my interest in um, the bog bodies and the intrigue of these um, these figures who are, are often found so lifelike that often people think the murder just happened instead mm -hmm. of thousands of years before. And, and so that is a particular reference to the Eid girl in the, in the Netherlands, um, the scant details of, 
of her murder. And so I was just trying to think, you know, to to spin it, the words we would use in these modern times. I mean, the next line is something like, if I had a gun, I'd shoot you, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and just the whole idea of the many ways that people are sacrificed in society, have been sacrificed in society. Um, and it doesn't have to be, you know, a blood sacrifice, throw, throw them in the bog um, to, to represent that. I think there are many ways people can be sacrificed by yeah. a system. And, and that was the point that I hope to make for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I always thought it was a strange uh, idea. I appreciated that line. Um, well, Jill, there's a scene where uh, your protagonist, Lynn, and um, Cal are sitting at a table in this place in New Hampshire. Not a very nice place or not what Lynn uh, may have been expecting. And they are offered meatloaf and baked chicken with green beans and mac and cheese. Uh, and when you go to a restaurant um, in the South where you are, maybe like a meat and three restaurant, mac and cheese is classified as a vegetable. Uh, maybe it is in New Hampshire, too. I don't know. So my question is, what, Jill, is the difference between vegetables in certain regions? Are mac and cheese and mashed potatoes and gravy vegetables? Oh, gosh. You know, I I don't think of. I mean, they're vegetables, but I don't think of it as, you know, getting a vegetable. Um, mm -hmm. my, my mom is in skilled nursing now um, many years, but, but during the brief period she was in assisted living, her first cousin was also in there, and they ate lunch together every day. And her first cousin one day ordered a baked potato, French fries, and sweet potato pie. <laughs> I, mm -hmm. I intervened. I'm like, <laughs> your son is going to be so mad at me if I let you eat all those potatoes. But mm -hmm. um, <laughs> mm -hmm. she saw it as a well-rounded uh, lunch. Yeah, my my son Van, he's seven, nearly eight now, and he's just exiting his his mac and cheese phase. But there were, you know, times when he could eat mac and cheese for every meal of the day. And I tried to explain to my wife, like, hey, if we were still in Raleigh, this would just be a vegetable for every meal. Oh but, my gosh, <laughs> I know, I was guilty of that, and I, I and, and even deeper guilt because um, mine ate the fluorescent orange craft. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly exactly I, I understand they're changing that fluorescent orange at some point in the near future but but who knows well um thank you jill uh in this story back to the the creative writing angle um there is a creative writing prompt which is pick an object pick a place where that object exists and imagine a person in a place with that object and my question, Jill, is do you find these types of prompts useful, uh, both as a writer and as a teacher? And why or why not? Yeah, I I do. I think a lot of times um, it's overwhelming where to begin. Um, mm -hmm. I, as a writer, learned a long time ago that if I wait for the perfect beginning, you know, I may be waiting forever. So I, I just jump in. Um, with something in mind, assuming that eventually I'll figure out what is the actual beginning. And um, but I think a lot of students are intimidated uh, to just dive into the middle. 
mm. you know, or to go ahead and write that final scene. And so there's something about planning an object or asking people to uh, locate and then describe a place or a situation, even opening with a line of dialogue that, you know, is ambiguous maybe in its mm. meaning and, and see just see where it goes. And that kind of forced writing, you know, you, you have 30 minutes, see where it takes you. It works. Yeah, I think so. I, I like the idea of prompts, both in writing um, and in other arts, in music. Uh, recently, there's, uh, there's a musician, Beck, who did a workshop where he gave a prompt for every song for for someone to write an album around. I know you're a musician as well, Joe. And um, the artist Jenny Lewis, her whole recent album was all songs written with prompts from that workshop. So um, it's fun to see these things come to fruition out in the world as well. Do you still play music, Jill? I don't, I don't, I'm not a musician. Well, I've heard, you don't, haven't you done programs where you have sing um, with other authors and such? Well, you know what? I got, <laughs> I got songwriter credit along uh -huh. with Teresa Berg mm -hmm. and Marshall Chapman for uh -huh. their song, Your Husband is Cheating on Us because they used my short story by that title. Uh huh. Well, if you get a songwriter, yeah, if you get a songwriter credit, that makes you a musician to me, Joe. As far as I'm concerned. Well, I could clear a building if I sing. For for years at at the Bennington Writing Seminars, it was kind of a joke. There was a a band, the Doghouse Band, and I would periodically get up there and sort of rap or speak my songs. Mm -hmm. That sounds so that's like that as far as my musical talent goes. Well, I'd like to see that, Jill. Um, well, thank you for that answer. Listeners, we're going to pause here for a word from Libro FM audiobooks. And then I will be right back with Jill McCorkle. The Book and Podcast would like to thank Libro.fm Audiobooks for their sponsorship. Libro.fm has the same audiobooks at the same prices as their major competitor. You know the name. But instead of supporting the Big River, you'll be supporting your favorite neighborhood bookstores. Please head on over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore, explore booksellers in the process. I'm back with Jill McCorkle, author of Old Crimes, which is published by our friends at Algonquin Books of Chapel Hill. Jill, before the break, we were talking about the title story, Old Crimes, and let's now move on to the second story, The Lineman. Uh, and I love this story, Jill. This is a story for me um, where uh, everything has clicked about your entire writing career, basically. So uh, we may spend uh, the rest of the interview talking about this one. Um, but the story is called The Lineman, and it is not about a football lineman, listeners, but a telephone lineman. Um, our protagonist, our lineman, speaks of his ex-wife, Pam, uh, in the following way. Quote, somehow she has managed to take her affair and turn herself into the victim. End quote. Um, and can you expand upon this quote, Jill? Tell us what it tells us about your characters. And then maybe uh, tell us how someone can commit a wrong in general in life 
but move forward painting themselves as a victim? Yeah, I I think that's a that's a great question. Um, the epigraph for the whole collection is about regret. You know, um, uh, perhaps all one can do is hope to have the right regrets from uh, that's from an Arthur Miller play. And I I think that the lineman is a wonderful example of someone who has the right regrets. I mean, as you read the story, um, he's quite open and honest about the mistake he made in life mm -hmm. um but he sees this ex-wife as someone you know who is is not owning her mistake and and so for me that 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 story was important i i hope to do a lot of things in it for one i think that I wanted to play with stereotypes a little. If you saw the ex-wife and heard the summary, um, if you saw the lineman, you would probably have these stereotypical ideas about who these people are and how they live, maybe even how they vote. Mm -hmm. um, and you might be wrong. Yeah. And and um so part of the challenge for me in his character was just, you know, I, I like to know where a character has failed or what they've done wrong. And then the whole challenge in the story is how, how, how do they get beyond it? How do they deal with it? Um, or do they choose not to deal with it? And in, in this case, I feel like he really works his way through. It's a it's a story that's a lot about communication and and how you maintain that he's got um, a teenage daughter he's afraid of losing on one end. He has a mother in the throes of dementia on the other end. And he's got this ex-wife he just lost right in the middle. Um, and we know in the past there was the first wife lost, um, much to his sadness. So, you know, he, he's a lot about trying to communicate um, and not necessarily being able to. And that was the whole idea behind him. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you mentioned stereotyping people uh, by the way they vote. Jill, is this something um, that has always happened to the degree that it is happening in 2024, where you may see someone and stereotype them by the way they vote? Um, you know, uh, I personally have noticed this getting magnified, say, from 2001 forward and then magnified again. Um, from maybe 2016 forward. Uh, is this something that has always happened in the way that it's happening now? Um, not to this degree. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think I think the difference now is that it's it's the kind of question that pops into my mind much mm -hmm. faster than it once did. I mean, I think growing up in the South, um, I grew up knowing a lot of people who would never vote as I vote. And yet there still was a lot of common ground and history and respect. Um, and, and people were 
you know, the whole thing about, and here we are, it's Thanksgiving, let's talk, let's nobody talk about religion or politics, you know, there Mm -hmm. was this, um, we agreed to disagree. And that has become harder and harder given the extreme stances that we're seeing. Um, So, yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's different now and but it's also why i wanted to choose someone who who people might look at you know someone performing this service that everyone needed at the time you know the the person who was going to come and fix your telephone um he's not the genius bar guy he's the guy before that and um and someone that a community depended on for practical knowledge and service and um, not dismissing the contribution to our society. And that too is, I mean, it's all, it's all there's a lot of irony underfoot <laughs> these days. Um, and I think it's just really unfortunate the the divisions and the extreme um opinions yeah absolutely thank you so much for that answer jill um in this story the lineman what is the blackout with the capital b why does your character think it is coming and do you jill think it is coming in whatever way you would like to talk well, about that? <laughs> i i think that was the whole idea for the whole story other than me really liking i, I like that jimmy webb song that glenn campbell took to great fame it's a mm-hmm. wonderful song um so you know it was it, it it was thinking about the song but i also found myself thinking okay so what do we do when the blackout comes and and who you who you're gonna call you mm-hmm. know all mm-hmm. these people that you've maybe been all too easily willing to ignore or dismiss in a society Mm -hmm. so i think i think you know i had the beginning of this story years ago um just thinking again about a community as a whole and the way that as soon as people start um dismissing or not giving credit to what another human contributes you're in trouble. And, and I think he has a legitimate right, you know, to say, what are you going to do? Um, I know how to do all these things. I can read a map. I can, um, you know, he, he, he's the MacGyver, you know, he could come in and get a battery going or whatever was needed. Yeah. And speaking of all of those things, uh, such as reading a map, Jill, uh, what have we lost by surrendering so many of our uh, mental skills and habits to computers and smartphones? And do you think that we risk losing more to machines equipped with artificial intelligence? Oh, yes. I mean, I, I find the whole artificial intelligence thing really frightening mm-hmm. um, because truth can be lost so easily Mm. and um 
that's frightening to me and very different from like the Eid girl in the bog where we have some facts, but we don't know the exact story. Um, what we're witnessing with AI is someone just completely changing the story mm -hmm. um, or, or pretending to be another human and using the voice. And um, it's, it's just, it's, I think it's really frightening. And, but I, I think what we're also missing is a kind of, a kind of silence, a kind of detachment that feels so good. Like I can remember this, this great feeling um, as a freshman in college, you know, where maybe you're supposed to call home on Sunday afternoon. That's what I did. And, and it was always such a great feeling. You, okay. You get, you do your call and then you've kind of like got a week, you know, and you're totally on your own without anybody asking you any questions. Mm -hmm. um, or, or, you know, you didn't know that your phone was ringing all day long. And um, so, so there was this kind of um, solitude that I fear us losing, you know, because mm -hmm. we're, we're interrupted and, and people expect everything to come so quickly. Mm -hmm. now instead of um so so i worry about us losing that wonderful sensation of anticipation you know you mail a letter you count one two days for it to get there and you, and you imagine it coming back and um that i i i miss that yeah um, you didn't know your phone was ringing all day or you did, but you didn't have to answer it. And now you're, uh, <laughs> now oh, your messages my pop up. I mean, as a kid, yeah. Mm -hmm. If you had a crush on somebody, you know, you could dial up and hear the voice and hang up and nobody would ever know it was you. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And then of course, star six, nine, was that what it was kind of yeah. messed up. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and this, <laughs> and here we are. And here we are. Yeah. No way to be anonymous out there unless you assume an AI persona, you know. <laughs> right. Right. Listeners, I wonder how many of you have no idea what we're talking about when we say uh star <laughs> six nine. Um yeah, so um moving on, Jill, you refer to Frankenstein in this story. Uh first why? And second, uh, your colleague in the MFA program at NCSU, who you mentioned earlier, uh, John Kessel, also wrote about Frankenstein and his wonderful award-winning story uh, and later novel, Pride and Prometheus. Um, so first, Jill, why refer to Frankenstein in this story, The Lyman? And second, uh, does everybody write about Frankenstein or was there just something in the water in Raleigh? What did I refer? What, what did What is my reference? Oh my, you're going to make me get your book out, aren't you? Let's see here. <laughs> this part of flipping well, the pages will be edited out. But let me. Um, you said uh, page 20, um, top of the first paragraph of that page. Uh, my daddy was eaten up with the blues. That's how she talked about it. And she forgave him everything the blues had done. They shocked him back into life, just like Frankenstein, she said. But he never stayed long. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's what it was, shocked <laughs> back into life. And of course, yeah. it should be Frankenstein's monster. Right, of course. I remember thinking when I wrote the story, no, but she would say Frankenstein, because yeah. that's mm -hmm. what everybody says. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I, I think I have always, uh, you know, Frankenstein's monster has always been a go-to image for me. I think um, I watched all those old black and white movies a million times as a kid, so... Mm -hmm. Um, those those images of the Boris Karloff movie, <laughs> maybe for better or worse, informed mm -hmm. things for me. Um, but I but I was thinking, you know, of shock therapy, but but also again, you know, this this idea of um, something that completely changes life as we know it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Jill. Um, Finally, uh, and listeners, we've only discussed the first two stories in this collection, but I have to tell you, Jill McCorkle is a master of the short story form. And if you are listening to this podcast and you like the books and authors you've been exposed to over the last 300 episodes or so, uh, you need to just pick this book up. It is amazing. I'm going to be hand selling it every day at Explore Booksellers in Aspen, as many copies as Algonquin uh, can send me. Um but finally, Jill, I mentioned uh, after the break that this book kind of made a lot of things about your writing career click for me. And I want to draw a line between this story, The Lineman, and one of your other works, Final Vinyl Days. Um, how do these stories mirror each other, if in your mind they do? Um, and what is it about dead or dying technologies that make fodder for excellent creative works such as The Lineman um, and do you think wired telephones and telephone wires will ever come back into style in the in the manner that vinyl records have? Oh wow. That that is a great one. Um I don't know if those phones will come back. I don't know if you see on my shelf. I, <laughs> I have the the phone from my childhood home. Mm -hmm. Um God. there are similarities between um the the narrator in final final days again and who knew i mean you know i that story grew out of me i was in chapel hill and i go on franklin street to the old record bar you know and there's one little box um and there was a sign that said final final days i mean mm. the whole store was you know cds and um this was the end and I thought it was so sad and of course now vinyl is is back mm -hmm. I can't imagine the phone will come back. I would love it mm -hmm. I, I you know I love the telephone as an object but you know now kids see like my kind of telephone and it's like yeah I I think um there's nostalgia mm -hmm. that automatically comes with it yeah um it's what you you know it's what you knew during a certain period in your life and what's important for me there's a lot that's um auditory if that's if that's the right way to say it i mean i i use that sound of an album you know at the, when you come to the end where the needle would just sort of keep bopping mm -hmm. um 
I don't know. In my mind, just that sensation of it wasn't on a loop like these reels you see online. So there's no, seemingly no beginning or end. It's like something chasing its tail. And uh, and I like the sensation of the beginning and the end. Mm -hmm. and, um, the delineation there. The same way that I used to love to unplug my phone mm -hmm. <laughs> and then it's just gone i mean and i can turn this one off mm -hmm. um which which i often do i mean if i go to the movies i turn it off there's nothing more annoying than seeing people searching during a movie um but yeah, I agree. I'm glad you said the word delineation. One of my old colleagues and friends, Marion Fregola at North Carolina State University Libraries, once uh, pointed out my usage of that word and, and laughed at me. So um, there you go, Marion. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I kind of, like you, I think, would welcome the return of uh, wired telephones, rotary telephones. I think it would take a massive rebellion against technology and the current way of life, which wouldn't be a bad thing in my mind. Um, but when you wrote Final Vinyl Days, uh, were you able to picture a world in which vinyl would make a comeback like it has now? Now it's the number one best-selling uh, music medium by far, I think. Um, or is it even something that you thought about at the time? No, you know, I wasn't thinking at the time. I was thinking that I wasn't going to get rid of mine mm -hmm. and I didn't. And in fact, um, I remember when I was living in Boston years ago, there was one store called needle in a haystack. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, because people who still had a turntable suddenly wouldn't be able to find a needle. Yeah. So that's a kind of, that's... kind of wonderful that, um, that it's all come back. Yeah. I think so I don't too. Know I, I I wish people would return to writing that way, you know, like the actual handwritten notes and letters. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I'm seeing that more and more often uh, folks coming into a bookstore, for example, and buying, you know, journals and with the intention of writing by hand, specifically because when you're plugged into a, a laptop um you know, the temptation is always there to check your email or to check your websites that you've already checked 20 times that day or whatever also it may be. preserved in a way that you don't necessarily want it preserved, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, you write it out. That's your one copy. Mm -hmm. I mean, imagine if people were painting on the internet. They probably are. Yeah, I think that, you, yeah, you do see that in graphic novels and things of that nature with folks doing their art all on a tablet now. Yeah, well, um, you know, I will cross my fingers and hope for those uh, rotary telephones to return. <laughs> Jill, um, and thank you so much for joining me and thank you for writing this wonderful collection. Listeners. I have been speaking with Jill McCorkle, author of Old Crimes, which is published by our friends at Algonquin Books of Chapel Hill. Jill, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Jason. It's been wonderful. Mm -hmm. 
Once again, I would like to thank Jill McCorkle for joining me. Copies of Old Crimes and Other Stories can be ordered from www.explorebooksellers.com with free shipping for members of Explore More Plus. I would also like to thank our sponsors, Libro FM Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jefferies, and this has been Bookin'.